because we know that we don't own it, that it comes from Him and from Him alone. And so we're thankful to uh, for His wonderful blessings in our lives. We're thankful for the people that He puts into our midst. And you never know what a day will bring. And so this morning, as we open God's Word together, um, we, there's not one particular passage that we're going to look at, but as you see, um, what we're going to do is we're actually going to survey the entire story of the Old Testament. So if some of you had lunch plans, I'd recommend... No, I'm just joking. But, um, uh, yeah, and here's why. Here's the reason. is because we just finished our study of Malachi. And if you remember, Malachi is the last book of what we call the Old Testament. And it is about the prophet Malachi that God sent, the very last prophet of the Old Testament age. Uh, it might be even better to call it the First Testament or the Old Covenant, but it's certainly not old or outdated. So what we're going to do is, is kind of take a flyover view of the Old Testament story and kind of land on the idea of why is it important that we as Christians who have met the Lord Jesus and who we read about in the pages of the New Testament, why is it important that we study the first or the Old Testament? And so we're going to look at that as sort of our context. And so um, we also do it because we just finished our study of the book of Malachi, which uh, brings to conclusion the Old Testament. We anticipate in a few weeks, beginning, as your cards say, in the beginning of June, our study of the Gospel of Mark. Because in your Bibles, you notice that you end the Old Testament with Malachi, and then opens the pages of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which of course tell the life story of Jesus, our Savior. And there's also about 400 years in between the events of the Old Testament from Malachi to the New Testament, the opening of the Gospels. And so today we're going to look at an overview of the Old Testament and why it's important that we read and study it. Next week we're going to look at the concept of the kingdom and why that's important that we study it in between the Old and the New Testament. Then we'll begin our study of Mark. And so to look today at the Old Testament and next week on the kingdom, it really is a way to bridge that gap because then what we do is the week before we open the book of Mark, we will look at the what's called the intertestamental period. That's that 400 years. So on that particular message, we're not going to look at a particular scripture or passage because it is about in between. What happens in the historical account of the people of Israel during that 400 years of silence? So perhaps it's a time period that you've never quite thought of, but there's a lot that we know from history, and it's very important as it sets the stage for the opening of the Gospel of Mark. So we're kind of closing the chapter on the old and beginning to look into the new. Does that make sense? And so we want to be able to spend some time bridging that gap and having some context and perspective. So as we kind of do this flyover survey of the Old Testament, I was reminded of a time years ago, I was in between jobs and I was helping my brother-in-law, Tom. Now, I've shared about him many times, and he's my, my dearest friend, and we've been friends since kindergarten. Any of you have a friend that's still a friend today who is a friend of kindergarten? 
it's really a special and unique thing. I think it's even especially for guys, you know. But what's really cool is that he has known me for pretty much my whole life. So when we have friends like that, you really can't hide anything from them, right? Because they know you very well. And so I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I'm in between jobs right now. Is there anything I can help you with? And he is an engineer. And so he said, well, what I could use, and it was for a few months during the summer, he said, I need a pole man. And I said, okay, what's that? And so he said, when I go out to start a project, we need to do a survey of the land before something is built on it. And so what we did is we went out, we did it over the course of a a few months, and we go to a project. And I remember the first one, we went out to this big wooded area. And of course, when you go up and you drive up to this area, what do you see? All you see is trees. But there needs to be a survey done by the engineer first to see the surveyor to kind of get a lay of the land to get what? That bird's eye view, the overall bigger picture of the plot of land and where this building, whatever it's going to be, is going to be put in relation to the boundaries of the land of all the trees that are there and the wildlife and all that stuff. And so what we did is we kind of marched out into the woods and he had his thing that he'd be able to look through to see it. I can't really explain it. Some of you kind of know what I'm talking about. And I would take this pole with sort of a reader on top and he would say, okay, walk out there. And we had our walkie-talkies on and I'd go out, you know, and he'd say, no, walk further. Okay, go a little bit further. No, keep going, keep going. So here's my friend Tom. I figured he's you know, joking around with me. No, just keep walking out. So finally he said, okay, that's good. And I'd get there and I'd have to put the pole in the ground and he would take his measuring device and he'd be able to look and see and he would be taking measurements, right? We would do that all throughout the day at different points on the land. So what we would get at the end of the day is a survey or the beginnings of a survey of that piece of property. To then know, so the engineer, the architect, can go back and say, here's our plot of land, here are the boundaries, here's the way it looks, here's the contour of the land, we're going to put a particular structure here, this is what it's going to look like. But before you can do that, you need to take a survey to get the bigger picture. All right with that? And so, of course, we know, like I said, when we got there, we drove up, all you could see is trees, and sometimes the details can get confusing. Have you ever opened the Word of God, especially the Old Testament, and you say, what on earth is going on here? And there's so much in there that you can get overwhelmed. They're confused. And what does this all mean? And so I think just for a short period of time this morning, it would be very helpful and advantageous for us as a church as we look forward to and anticipate our study of the Gospel of Mark to say, look, what was it we just finished up in in Malachi? What is this Old Testament all about? And if it is old or the former, then why is it as Christians of the New Covenant, why is it important that we study it? And really what it is, it is important to get the overview and the big picture or the story of what's happening so that when we start our study of Jesus, we can understand things like, who did he believe he was? How about the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, those that he spent so much time talking to? Why were they so incensed about the words that he said? What was it about him that he claimed about himself? That these religious leaders who knew the Old Testament Scriptures, see, 
who knew it by heart, why were they so upset about this man, Jesus? You see, because if we just open the pages of the New Testament without understanding or reading the Old, we'll be lost. Here's why, and this is what we'll develop and get to at the very end this morning, is that the Scriptures, old and new, reveal Christ the Redeemer from the very beginning to the very end. So even as we look at the Old Testament from Genesis all the way to Malachi, we're going to look at this survey of the Testament. So important that we do. So the Old Testament deals primarily with the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. So of course we know that all of Scripture tells us about the character and nature of our God. But specifically in the Old Testament we see the relationship between God and His people whom He has chosen and called out, starting with Abraham. And His relationship with the people of Israel. And that is the underlying sort of storyline throughout the whole Old Testament. And you'll see that there's really... Um, four parts, I think, to the Old Testament, a way that we can sort of break it up to help us have this perspective. And the first one would be the law. All right, And so we have the law. It's what we would consider the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you learned the books of the Bible as a kid in Sunday school, you're probably singing the song in your head, right? And so you can help memorize it. It's the first five books, or what's also called the Pentateuch, meaning five, written by Moses. Okay, And it tells elementary about the law. It's the foundation that's being set for the Redeemer. So let's make sure we understand that first. So if we're breaking up the Old Testament into four parts, just to make it easier for ourselves, the first part would be the law, the first five books. Okay? It sets, and this is important, as we see Christ in the Old Testament, it sets the foundation for Christ the Redeemer. So next would be the history. So first we have the first five books, and then we have, that set the law, then we have the history. So if the first five books are the law, and it sets, listen, the foundation for the Redeemer, then history prepares for the Redeemer. And so we have Joshua through Esther. Okay, So if you're taking notes, you say the law is the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then Joshua through Esther would encompass the history. And the history, why is that important? It prepares the way for the Redeemer. Now sometimes we can think history to be important. I happen to enjoy history in school. Maybe some of you, you really could care less about learning about um, American history, world history, European history, all that, right? But we know as Christians, we are to open the Word of God and say, you know what, there's a lot of history in here, especially in the Old Testament. This is important for us to know. But as Christians, why is it so important? Because if the law sets the foundation for the Redeemer and why there needs to be a Redeemer and the introduction of sin into the world, into God's plan then the history of the relationship of God and the people of Israel prepares the way for the Redeemer. So that's Joshua through Esther. The third section of the Old Testament would be the poetry. Maybe that's a a part of Scripture that you really enjoy reading. And that really is the desire 
for the Redeemer. So if the law sets the foundation and the history gives us a preparation for the Redeemer, then the poetical books, Job through the Song of Solomon, really open up. It's really the heart. It's the heart of the people and their God. It's about the desire for the Redeemer. See, if we look at it in the context of the Redeemer, the law sets the foundation. The history is the preparation for the Redeemer. But these really special, interesting, and unique poetical books, Job through the Song of Solomon, they really reveal something intimate. And maybe you connect with that better than the the history part. It's all important. But the poetical books show and reveal the heart of people for God. It's a longing. It's a desire. Isn't that a reason that a lot of people write poetry? Because you have something inside of you, and, and maybe you write it to be a song. A lot of songwriters will say they can't really express their feelings, but they can do it through songs. And so much of songs is poetry, right? Or you write a poem. I'm sure many of you in here have written poetry, right? And you do it because it's a way, what, to express what's in your heart. And that's very simply what these poetical books of the Old Testament are. It's a way to kind of catch a glimpse of the heart of God's people. And then finally, the fourth section would be prophecy. That's all the prophets. So you get that word prophecy. It's not just about, as we'll see in a moment, about foretelling the future. It's kind of how we think of prophecy. It's not about just foretelling what's going to happen. But I use that word prophecy just because it's all about the prophets. Okay, let's make it simple. Because after the law, the history, the poetry, the rest of the Old Testament, Isaiah through Malachi, who we just finished studying, that's the prophets. Now you can break those up into the minor and the major prophets, not because their messages were any less important than the others. It's really about the amount and volume of the writing, how long the, the letters and the books are. But just put it all together, it's the prophets. And often what you would hear, you've probably read this, Jesus said it, and the religious leaders would say it, they would say, in the law and the prophets. Right? Did you ever hear that term or read it? The law and the prophets. Well, that's just a phrase, a way to say the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures. That's what the law and the prophets is. It doesn't mean they're leaving out the history and the poetry. It's all together. But see, the point is this. If we have the law that sets the foundation for the Redeemer, the history as the preparation for the Redeemer to come. The poetry as that heartfelt longing and desire for the Redeemer to come. And the prophecy is all the writings of the prophets, Isaiah through Malachi, we can understand. The Old Testament is chock full of information. It's chock full of beautiful poetry and songs. Things that help us connect to God. Because is that not what God's Word, Old and New Testament does? It's God revealing Himself to us. So, uh, what I say is this, it's so important that we do not neglect the reading of the Old Testament. Because then when you open the New, and you read all about Jesus, as we should, you will have a much deeper and richer understanding. And, and dare I say, actually, you really will miss so much about who Jesus is, who He claimed Himself to be, and what he said about the future, if we miss out on the past. Right? 
And so let's look briefly at each of these, the law, the history, the poetry, and the prophecy. Then I'll kind of bring it all together and what Jesus says about himself in relation to the Old Testament. Okay, This morning would be a good time to take a lot of notes if you're a note taker. And you can take notes uh, you know, in your Bible if you do that, or maybe you brought something uh, to write on. But it's good just to kind of give us a perspective. So first is the law. Okay, It really deals with the creation of Israel. God establishing a covenant relationship with his people. And so if you read through the Old Testament, you see that's what it is. It's a story. There's a lot in there, right? You go to see a movie, and there's so much in there, right? There's drama. There's history. There could be romance, some comedy. It's all part of good storytelling. It reveals it. So we can read the Old Testament and say, okay, how is this whole thing starting, and why is this actually being written this way? Those first five books... The books written by Moses, the Pentateuch, however you want to say it, they contain the law, because it's all about the laws and the instructions that God gives through Moses to his people Israel. Does that make sense? So it's God giving instructions through Moses, his servant, to his people Israel. Okay? They lay the foundation for the coming of Christ, the Redeemer. And God chooses to bring into being the nation of Israel because we know the Redeemer will come out of them. See, it's all part of God's plan. If you simply want to understand God better and know how, listen, how does He work in your life? Why is He allowing things to happen or or holding back on other things? Why is He orchestrating everything the way that He does? Open the pages of the Old Testament. And you'll see this beautiful story filled with history and poetry and and instruction and law and morals and all of that. The victories and the failings of people as a nation and individuals, it all speaks to the heart and the nature of the same God that created us and that we serve today. So it's all important. And so, the law, those first five books, lay that foundation And it tells us this, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel that He created and set apart for Himself, they become the watchmen or the custodians of the Scriptures of God's Word and Revelation. They become the recipients of promises, the covenant promises like that God made with Abraham, the unconditional promises that God says He will fulfill, the promise He he makes to David, to Moses through the law. God is a promise keeper. And if you ever struggle with God, why is it that you're not keeping your promises to me to protect me and to provide for me? Open up the pages of the Old Testament and you'll see a faithful God who talks to His people in many ways and reminds them, sometimes sternly, sometimes gently, but always proclaiming that He is faithful. That God who is faithful to the people of Israel, who will continue to be faithful in the future by fulfilling all of His promises that we read about in the Old Testament that will come to fruition in the future, He's the same God for us, church. And so we need to recognize that and learn all about Him that we can. So then we move to the history, just giving this brief survey and overview. So the history of the nation of Israel. They cover the life of that nation from the time of their possession of the land all the way through the time of exile. What's called the two deportations. 
right? It covers about 800 years of history. That's a long time. 800 years worth of history of history there in the Old Testament. About 12 books that it includes. Talks about um, possessing the land of Canaan, the promised land, the judges, the establishment of kings. Then there was that unfortunate period in Israel's history where the United Kingdom divided into north and south. How those divided kingdoms then because of their disobedience and God's punishment was then taken into exile. The northern kingdom by the Assyrian, uh, by the nation of Assyria. The southern kingdom into Babylon. Recognize that word, those terms. And then finally, when God redeems them after their time of discipline out of exile, going back to Jerusalem, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, of the walls and the temple. You remember all that from Nehemiah and Ezra? You remember that great picture where we see that the people have come back from exile. God is restoring them to their land. They're rebuilding, and then they recognize they need God's Word back in their lives. So through Ezra the priest, they cry out for God's Word. You know that it says in that great story that there was a time where they stood, I think it was for six hours they stood, listening to the Word of God. Because it was preached. And it was read aloud. And then there was priests that were just walking among the people explaining what was being read. Would we be willing to stand for the reading? Yes, thank you. For the reading of God's Word for that long? But see, the people were desperate for it. They hadn't had it as they used to in in exile. Assyria and Babylon especially, they come back and they need the Word of God. They're desperate for it. And then, of course, these books of the history prepare the way of the coming Christ, the Messiah. Then the poetry, it gives us, as I said before, an intimate look into the heart of the people and their God. It's about God's passion for His people and their willingness and sometimes disobedience in worshiping Him. See? And so if the law, this is another good way to see it, if the law is about Israel's morality, and then the history is about Israel's nationality, and then the prophetical books we'll look at in a minute is about uh, Israel's future reality, then the poetry is about Israel's spirituality. See, So it gets to the real heart. It's all important. We need to know the law. We need to see God laying the foundation for the Redeemer. We need to know the history. Then we can take a deeper look into the heart of of God's people. And then finally, the prophecy. Again, just talking about the functionality and the calling of the prophets. Isaiah all the way through Malachi. And the prophets, as we know, what are prophets called to do? They are called by God to bring a message to His people. And it's a message to repent because the people had gone astray. And you know what? That's important for us because do we walk perfectly with our God? No, we don't. And so we need reminders And God will do things in our lives to bring us back to Him. Sometimes, as you know, we all know, it can be painful. Sometimes it's gentle and gracious and compassionate. The same God, just working in our lives in different ways. So whenever we're struggling with that, 
Let's open up to the Old Testament. Be reminded of how God dealt with His people. See, we are the church. We are called. We are the called out ones to be separate from this world system that Scripture very clearly teaches us and Jesus Himself shows us is run and orchestrated by our enemy, our adversary. But we know that we are not citizens here. It's been said that we're not citizens. We're just what? Passing through, right? Because we look forward to that day when Christ returns for us. But in order to even grasp, listen, the grasp, the fullness and the richness of that hope that we have as a church, let's go back and look at God's dealings with His chosen people. The first ones, the people of Israel. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. And the prophets were those men, those people that God called to bring a particular message to His people at a particular time in history for a certain reason. That's what the prophets did. So when you open up those books, Isaiah through Malachi, you will see they were preachers. They were what I like to call futurists. So they talked about what's going to happen in the future. But they were also like guards or watchmen. They were warning the people of Israel, giving them warning signs. Did you ever just kind of recognize and sense the Spirit within you that God is warning you about something? Warning you about maybe an event that's coming up or maybe somebody that He's brought into your life or that you've allowed into your life. And God, maybe He tugs on your heart in certain ways to give you a warning. I'd like to believe, of course, that the more we stay in tune with our God and His Word and the Spirit within us as the church, the called out ones, the more we'll be able to discern. It's an important word. To have that discernment about His Spirit leading in our lives. Perhaps leading us away from danger and back into truth. We see all of that first within the study of the Old Testament. So the law, the history, the poetry, and then the prophets. That is the Old Testament. And then we come to this. Why do we study the Old Testament? 2 Timothy 3 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for these things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting and training all in righteousness so that and here it is so that the servant of god that's us may be thoroughly equipped for every good work for every good work when we're in school especially when we're kids we didn't just study one subject right we had all kinds of subjects we studied history and math and science and art and we all had our favorites but see all of these things studying all of these things they prepare us in different ways to be able to think to be critical thinkers to understand the world around us and how it functions but all of what we learned even in school helped to equip us for life as a parent i know that one of my main responsibilities is to help to prepare my children for their future, right? That's that whole idea. So they graduate, they go off to college or the workplace, and you want to hope, know that you did as best you could, leading them in God's way, preparing them for the future. Why? Because as adults, parents, you know what I'm talking about, we know a lot more about life than our children do. Now, they might not agree, And they tend to voice that sometimes. 
But at the end of the day, we know we've just lived. We've lived longer. We know we have what? Experiences. And so we can share that with them and say, you know what? The world might look one way right now, but let me tell you how it really is. But you know what? As Christians, we open the Word of God, the Old Testament, it reveals that to us in, in relationship to our connection with God. The reality of who God is and who we are. Okay? So there's many reasons, of course, to study the Old Testament, how it prepares us. But one thing is this. It lays that foundation and we recognize the Bible, and this is important to know, the Bible is a progressive revelation. So not everything we need to know is right there on page one of Genesis. Am I right? No, it progresses. As we open the Word of God and read it from beginning to end, we see it is progressive in its revelation as God reveals Himself to His people. If you skip, it's been said this way, if you skip the first half of any good book and just try to read it from the middle to the end, aren't you going to be lost? Right? Have you ever opened a book and you're so excited to read it, you flip to the end to see how it's going to end? That's not good. Because then you miss all the whys and the what fors and why was it so important? It's like this. Look, if we open the Gospels and read about Jesus Christ, if we didn't read or know anything about the story of the Old Testament, so much is going to be confusing. But why are these people so upset at this guy, Jesus? He's, he's preaching uh, pre, uh, peace and forgiveness. Why are these religious leaders so upset at him? Why is he saying that he is God? And why are all these people following him and then some drop away? And what's going on with these miracles? What? He's a redeemer. A, a redeemer from what? It's like sharing the gospel and just saying, here's the good news. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. That is good news, right? But isn't it important then to say, but here's what you need to be saved from. You see that? It's kind of like giving half the story. So we need to open the page of the Old Testament because it progressively reveals the heart and the nature of God and His Word. Other few things. It's important to know why Jesus came, why the people of Israel were looking for a Messiah, why did Jesus come preaching the kingdom? That's what we're going to look at next week why it's so important you ever think about that the opening pages of the gospels john the baptist jesus they say repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of god is at hand what does that mean why were the people supposed to be looking for a kingdom why were they you want to know the answer open the pages of the old testament see it all comes from there we really wouldn't be able to truly identify jesus of nazareth as the messiah Unless we knew about all those prophecies from the Old Testament concerning His birth, His death, His resurrection. So many details about His ministry. Do you see where I'm going? If we, we want to know who this Jesus is, as we're about to study the Gospel of Mark, we need to have this foundation. We understand Jewish customs. Why was there this Passover that Jesus was celebrating and taking a meal with his disciples the night before he was betrayed. It was a Passover, like Seder meal. What, why was that important? What's the significance and the symbolism there? So much gets lost, church, if we don't know that history, that law, 
even connecting with God through the poetical books and the warnings and the promises through the prophets, it's all leading to the Redeemer, the coming Redeemer, who we recognize and know to be the Lord Jesus. Okay? So we are exhorted to trust God no matter what. We see it in the Old Testament as well. To stand firm in our convictions. To be faithful to God. To confess sin. All of these things that Jesus taught us in the New Testament that we read, it all has its beginnings and its foundations in the Old Testament. It helps us also, I'm going to end with this part of it, to understand prophecy. Now, so many of us, maybe all of us, I don't know, are really intrigued about what's going to happen next. What does the future hold? We all kind of want to know, right? What's the future hold? Well, don't we read about things like a tribulation or a coming kingdom? Or we uh, read things about rapture, even though the word's not in there, about Jesus coming in the clouds for his church. And we see that there's going to be this kingdom. It's going to be like a thousand year reign of Christ. And we read all these things. Well, where is this coming from? Why are these things important to look forward to? Well, let's look to the history of it so we can know the future. Aren't we better off if we study and remember the past to then look to the future? Sometimes so we don't repeat mistakes in the past. So also we are more prepared. I think we all want to be prepared for the future. But it's all in there. See, even those things that we read about in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, the last one written that tells us so much about the future, right? The return of Messiah. Well, if He's returning... Let's read about why he's coming back. Did he come the first time? Why? What was that all about? So this way, we have a much deeper understanding of what is to come for us, his people, his church. In summary, the Old Testament allows us to learn how to know God, how to love him, how to serve him, because it reveals Christ to us. Four passages of Scripture I'll read, and then... I'm going to take three minutes to read a story to you to end our time together. Matthew 5.17. These are words of Jesus about Himself as we bring this message to a conclusion. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. You see, that means the Old Testament. That means the whole thing. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill them. So if Jesus said He didn't come to abolish it, what He's saying is, Don't forsake all of that because it's all about me anyway. He says, I've come to fulfill it. So if we want to be fulfilled and have a, listen, a full picture of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, then we need to know about that law and prophets that he talks about. How about Luke 24? It's that great story of the Emmaus Road. Right? We know that. It's these two disciples. They were so distraught and disillusioned after Jesus' death on the cross as all the disciples were, right? They had so much hope that Jesus was that promised Redeemer that they knew about. See, let's not forget this, that all the disciples, see, they knew of the Old Testament. They knew the Scriptures, right? And they knew what was foretold about the Messiah. They said, this is Him, this is Jesus. Then He dies on the cross. They had not quite understood When Jesus said He would come back to life and that it was all part of what was prophesied. See? 
So these two particular disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were so disillusioned and distraught, probably weeping, asking each other, what just happened? He was the one, and he's dead. And so what happens? It's a beautiful picture of God's compassionate heart. It's really the story of the Emmaus Emmaus Road. It's God's compassionate heart to his hurting people because Jesus himself appears. They don't recognize him. Here's what it says in verses 25 to 27 of Luke 24. And he said to them, this is Jesus to those disciples, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Now stop there. What Jesus is saying is this. It's so important. He's saying, wasn't it necessary as if to say, didn't you read all of it? Didn't you know the whole story? Because what just happened on the cross was prophet. It was foretold. It had to happen. See? So then, it says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So what is that? Moses, the first five books. All the prophets. It's really saying the whole Old Testament Scriptures. Jesus interpreted to them. He interpreted uh, to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So Jesus told those two disciples, look, it's all about Me. I was the promised I am the promised Redeemer. The one promised to the people of Israel, you're a people. I am the one that was going to come. I am here. So he reminds them how? Through the Scriptures. Isn't that great? God's not going to go against His own Word. And so Jesus, He reveals to them the Word they had already read and should have remembered. Isn't that great? That was told to me this morning that it was almost like a, probably a seven-mile journey. You can cover a lot, seven miles. You ever go walking with a friend for seven miles? I don't know. Somebody suggested this morning what we could do is um, we could all get up and we could go for a walk around the reservoir. How's that, about a mile around or something more than that? We could walk around seven times. Maybe some walls will fall down. I don't know. Just, anyway, we could walk around and We could talk about the Scriptures and encourage each other, right? But that's what Jesus did with His dear disciples who were so distraught. So the next time, church, that you're feeling disheartened because things aren't working out the way that you had hoped or prayed about or planned, and you feel maybe God has forgotten about you, what God is telling us through the Lord Jesus, hey, open up His Word because His Word doesn't change. That's why we have the Bible and we hold it to be so dear and It's at the foundation of who we are that we are to open the old and the new to be reminded of our God and who we are in His sight. Luke 24, 44-47, a little bit later. This is later that evening to some more disciples, about ten of them. Jesus says these words. These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds, look, to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, this is written, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, you should know this. 
as I am the one. And finally, John 5, you search the Scriptures, Jesus says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, meaning the Scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I'd also like to think that Jesus is saying, in a sense, you refuse to come to me, to my word, to, to be reminded about who I am. Saying, you search the Scriptures, you're looking for that eternal life, you're looking for the answers, they all bear witness about me. The law, the history, the poetry, the prophets, it's all about the Redeemer coming. You see? Jesus Christ is the underlying theme. It's the hope in Him that is the good news. And I will end with this. This will take three minutes, I know, because I timed it. I did this last year. This is half of what I read. This is the, the story of the Old Testament in three minutes. And then I'll pray. We'll close with a song. In the beginning was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He had always existed, but now He spoke into being all that we know. First the angels, then the heavens, the earth, and all that they contain. Then He created man and woman in His own image. The first being Adam, then Eve, and they lived in perfect harmony in a perfect place. God had created for them a garden called Eden. One of the angels God had created, perhaps the most magnificent of all of them, had rebelled against God in pride, wanting to be greater than God and not His servant. So one day this angel, Satan, tempted Adam and Eve to do the same thing. And they did. They rebelled against God by disobeying the one rule He had given them. In their sinful disobedience to their Creator, they became separated from Him. Banished from that perfect garden, and now subjected to decay, destruction, and death physically and spiritually. But God did not give up on them. In the midst of pain, toil, hardship, and death, there was also the promise of a Redeemer. Right there in the opening pages of Genesis. Sin spreads in the world and becomes so severe that God's righteous anger That in His anger, God judges the world. He sends a flood, destroys all living things, but mercifully saves Noah and his family. Sadly, things don't improve. And through Noah and his family, sin takes root once again. God commands the people to multiply and spread out over the earth. But in their rebellion, they do just the opposite. They build for themselves a tower at Babel to reach into the sky trying to prove their independence from God. But again, God judges. He confuses their languages. Thus forcing people to scatter and create many nations and cultures. His will be done. God then chooses one man named Abraham to leave his home, go to a new land that God would show him. God makes an unconditional covenant with Abraham including a land for all His people and a blessing for the whole world through His descendants. A promise that sets the stage for all the events and the rest of the beautiful story. We learn of God's relationship with Abraham's son Isaac, his son Jacob, then one of his sons Joseph. 
This is the rise of the Jewish people as a race. Through Joseph, the whole extended family of Jacob, now called Israel, about 70 or so, they end up in Egypt. And all is well, but after about 400 years, their story is kind of forgotten. And the new Pharaoh in Egypt sees the Jews, now over a million strong, as a threat. He makes them slaves. Then enter Moses, born a Jew, but raised a son of Pharaoh, then called by God to set his people free. Through the ten plagues, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of Pharaoh's army, they are set free. God uses Moses to lead his people towards the promised land. God gives them ten commandments, laws, and holiness, worship, a conditional covenant this time, where obedience leads to blessings and disobedience leads to a curse. But again, in sin and rebellion, they follow false gods. Their disobedience and lack of trust in God lead them to wander in the desert for 40 years, and it keeps that generation, including Moses, from entering the promised land. And then we have the books of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Laws, Plans for the Promised Land, Reminders by Moses for the people to follow God. Then Joshua, the new leader, enters the scene. He leads the Jews in conquering the land of Canaan. The land promised to them by God. Their relationship with God continues to be tenuous because of their sin. They fall into disobedience. They cry out to God for help. He provides a leader, a judge, to save and provide. They're humble. They're penitent. But only for a time. And then that cycle begins again. Blessing, disobedience, judgment, repentance, mercy, blessing, and disobedience again and again. So the people decide what they really need is not a judge, but a king. So God uses the last great judge, Samuel, to appoint a king over them, and that king's name is Saul. He starts off well, but the people wanted him for all the wrong reasons, so they could be like those pagan nations around them. And Saul follows suit. He becomes angry, even paranoid, barbaric, eventually is killed along with his son. And there's no dynasty for Saul. See that? God then appoints a new king, a man after his own heart named David, a young man, a giant killer, who rules the 12 tribes for about 40 years. Jerusalem is now considered the city of David. A line of Davidic kingship begins. The tabernacle moves to the temple in Jerusalem, a permanent place of worship. David's son Solomon builds a temple. Under his son Rehoboam, unfortunately the nation becomes divided. And due to a series of bad kings and idol worship, both kingdoms eventually end up in exile. The northern to Assyria, the southern to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. And then, the books of Ezra, all the way through Malachi. We have the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We have the poetry and the prophets. God sends prophets to His people before and after the exiles to do what? To call them to repentance and back to Him. A remnant returns to Jerusalem. The city is rebuilt. The temple is rebuilt. Once again, Israel has a nation and an identity, but then 400 years of silence. 
as we close the pages of the Old Testament, no word from God. The Jewish people are under rule of various empires because of their disobedience. The Assyrians who give way to the Babylonians, who give way to the Persians, and then the Greeks, and eventually the Romans. And there opens the pages of the New Testament and the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for a bird's eye view of the Old Testament. God, would You help us to remember as we close our time together, even in worshiping You, God, that it really is all about giving You worship by just coming before You, surrendering ourselves at the foot of the cross. But we thank You, God, for Your amazing and powerful Word. It's alive. It's transformative. If only we would open it and read it. God, would You convict us when we need convicting. Encourage us, God, when we need encouragement to stay true to Your Word, to read it, to memorize it, to live it, to apply it. So God, we can be reminded of who Jesus is, why He needed to come, and praise God to have that continued hope that He will one day return. In His name we pray. Amen.